We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Acts chapter 4. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. See here, the church very really beginning to expand and grow. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Remember, uh, Peter had healed a man just previously in Acts chapter 3, and this is a follow-up to this. In verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, that is, Jesus Christ. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside, to go out the side out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot speak but, the, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The king of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things which were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We are very pleased to have uh, Alex and Elizabeth with us. And among other things, our brother uh, has uh, perfected his craft in preaching the word. Well, maybe not perfected, but uh, he's working at it just like we all are. But he has become a very competent preacher in the Word of God. And so uh, he probably is not going to draw you any sketches up here today, although hopefully in, in your minds he will draw forth the Word and you will understand it. So, brother, please come. And I uh, hope your battery lasts for the preaching this morning. Very good. And uh, should I tell him how late I usually preach, or should I tell him the... No, I shouldn't. <laughs> Don't tell him. Okay. <laughs> Well, good morning. It is a, a privilege always to open the Word of God, and uh, it's a privilege to be here with you as well. Uh, as we look into the, the Word, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of your Word, of having it, and we, we ask that your people would be uh, encouraged today to use the Word as you have intended. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would, uh, you would cause his work in our hearts to be obvious, to be uh, apparent to us, that we might be crafted and shaped into the image of Christ today. In Christ's name, amen. Not everything that is true is helpful. There are, there are lots of things that uh, we could... Uh, we could notice about other people, but we don't always have to tell them that, right? Um, there are lots of uh, data points that come to us uh, through the course of uh, the course of a day, through the course of a week, 
And this world is very quick to shine them on our faces. But that's not necessarily things that we should be or need to be thinking about. Uh, there are so many uh, things in the world that we have available to us, but they're not really useful to us. But God's word is not like this. When God gives us his word, he gives us something that is always useful. God, as we mentioned in Sunday school, never minces words. He never uh, gives to us things that are just throwaway facts or sidelight stories or um, things that are, you know, take it or leave it. But everything he gives us in his word is for a reason. Uh, we can find on Facebook ads or we can find on uh, commercials what certain people think of their own products, right? We can find on many, many, many uh, news sites and radio stations the opinions of our peers about current events or about certain sports players or uh, many other things. We have information now more than ever coming at us uh, in ways that are, again, unprecedented. But what is God's opinion of his products? Who are we and why are we here? Who is God and why is it important to know about him? What is it that God has done in the past? What is he doing in the present? And what will he do in the future? Again, this information is not throwaway newsfeed info. God's word is not a collection of mindless posts because he didn't have anything better to think about or to share with us. And it is definitely not fake or pretend. If you would please, opening your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at the last couple of verses, verses 16 and 17. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The context of this statement from Paul to Timothy is, as you may know, 2 Timothy was written in, uh, in the last days, the last, uh, the last period of Paul's life. Paul was, I mean, Timothy was not only young Pastor Timothy anymore. He was a young pastor earlier, but, uh, and Paul addressed some of those things in 1 Timothy. Now, Timothy has some experience under his belt. Paul has seen a lot of hard times. In this situation he was in, he was not going to make it out alive. And he tells his protege, now his son in the faith, and the one who would be continuing after as an experienced pastor. Things aren't going to get much better, Timothy. In fact, as time goes on, and even at the end of the age, things are going to get worse. 
evil men, people who are trying to seduce people away from the truth, are only going to get worse. But, Timothy, you remember. Because you've been trained in really good things. Remember those things. Remember who you've learned them from. Follow our example. But remember the scriptures themselves. In verse 15 he says, that are able to make you wise unto salvation. We could see that as initial salvation, but also ongoing salvation. God is doing his work. God will use his word. And then he tells Timothy what good that is. God's going to use his word. But again, it's not just throwaway stuff. It's not just a take it or leave it kind of thing. Paul says, you will be helped, young Pastor Timothy, who are now experienced. You will be helped, and here's why. This is what God's word is like, and this is what God's word is for. Again, verse 16, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. In this short passage, we find some very important truths about God's truth. The first is simply that God's word comes from God. This may sound like a very simplistic statement, but if we don't understand or believe this, we are in big trouble when it comes to gaining any benefit from scripture. As we mentioned in Sunday school this morning, when Paul speaks of the word of God being inspired or breathed out by God, the picture is that, is that of exhalation, or we could think of fogging up a window. And everything there, it's from God. Every time the ink hit the page, that is from God. The text itself is directly from God. God. It was the word of God. And since that time, God has been using men and women to preserve his word for our use today. At the time of Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, Paul is most likely referring mainly to the Old Testament scriptures. Have you ever thought of that? When he says all scripture, he's talking about a body of written material. Okay, so what is he talking about? Well, primarily, the word of God that Timothy would have had would have been the old, what we refer to as the Old Testament, which Jews today even call the Hebrew Scriptures. But when Paul was saying goodbye to the pastors in Ephesus, he quoted, very interestingly to me, Matthew 10.8 as a legitimate, trustworthy, and useful record of the words of Jesus. In doing so, he gives credence to the authority of the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, so... In Acts 20, verse 35, Luke records that Paul says to the pastors at Ephesus, In all things I have shown you by working hard, in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so this is Paul talking to the people in Ephesus, the pastors in Ephesus, saying, These are the words of Jesus. And he says that how he himself, Jesus, said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So at that time, Paul was aware of Matthew having been written. Okay, so if we're asking ourselves in 2 Timothy 3, what is Paul talking about when he says the scriptures? 
Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, uh, Paul was referring to more than simply the Old Testament because he's at least referring to the book of Matthew. Uh, we, we know also that what Paul is writing in this letter to Timothy is itself scripture. So this statement applies to this passage and all the rest of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Maybe that's a little technical. When he says all scripture, basically, we can think of it this way. Everything we know as scripture, that's what he's talking about, okay? Um, in Peter also refers to Paul in his writing. Uh, in 2 Peter 3.16, he says, There are some things uh, in them that are hard, that is in uh, the writings of Paul, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant people and the, in, and the unstable people twist to their own destructions as they do, what? The other scriptures. So even Peter is referring to Paul as the scripture in 2 Peter 3.16. So we know that Paul is speaking even of his own letter when he says the scriptures, all scripture, everything that God has revealed to his church as the written, we talked about this in Sunday school, the written special revelation of God. God reveals himself to mankind through the conscience that we all have, through the creation itself. But he also reveals to himself in special ways, in specific ways, including the written revelation of God in the inscripture, in the inscripturated word of God. And Paul refers to that written word of God to Timothy, urging him to cling to it, to trust it, to put his whole trust in it and in the next chapter, which is just the next verse, in the next few verses into, verse, into chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, preach it. Okay. But what is the value of this? Well, the value is that it's the word of God. God is the source of the text of Scripture. It's useful for us to pause like we did in Sunday school and like we will right now. To remember that the Bible is truly and sincerely completely unlike any other book. Do you believe that? Simply in this, it comes from God. Uh, the Lord has allowed uh, my wife and me to do a lot of international travel. Uh, even recently, in the last few months, we were able to go to some special training in Germany. Uh, and then, uh, that's, so we traveled from uh, India to Germany to get there. And then recently, very recently, we've come all the way to the other side of the world. And we bump into a lot of different people who think a lot of different things, who maybe their whole lives have been very entrenched in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Islam. Across the street from our, uh, from our home in, uh, where, where we do our, our work on the other side of the world is, is a mosque. And so five times a day we hear the call to pray for Muslims, Right? It's their call of prayer, but it's a call to me to pray for Muslims. Um, but God gave us his word. 
It doesn't matter how convinced you are that some other opinion might be better. It's still the word of God. And one day, every knee will bow before the one who spoke. God is the author of every bit of scripture. He used men who wrote as men and not as robots. But each of the very words themselves comes from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 that we're looking at now is a major verse in understanding of what we call the inerrancy of God's word. That is, it is completely and wholly, entirely, every single word without error, the inerrancy of all of God's word. But sometimes we can come to this verse and we say, oh yeah, I know that one. That's the one that tells us that God's word is God's word. That's great. And then we shuffle aside. But in the context here, when God is speaking, when Paul is writing this sentence, he's not done at just that first phrase. In the context of this passage of Paul's letter to Timothy, it's a very small part of Paul's intended message in these verses to Timothy. And that is this. So first, God's word comes from God. And secondly, here we see God's word helps us to grow. Again, we'll read verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When Paul says that the word of God is beneficial, we have that word there, profitable, some translations have beneficial, it is useful. He's saying that we can be helped in our lives if we would go to the word of God expecting it to help us. Do you believe that? When we go to the word of God, we are going not only to some enshrined object. Now, I've, I've had the opportunity uh, a couple times to go to different museums that have maybe a very, very, very old copy of some Hebrew manuscript. And it's not the first one. It's not the first one where the ink hit the page from the pen of Moses, but it's still really old. And when I look, that, look at that, I'm reminded that when the ink first did hit the page, that was a miracle. That was God reaching through to communicate to us. But he did that for a purpose. Of course, we know God does everything for a purpose, and not only one purpose. You know, sometimes when somebody's going through a hard time in their lives or when there's an unexpected or expected death in the family, and we, we think, well, God must have a purpose. And that's true. In one way, God has a purpose that is all-encompassing to all of time, right? But as we think of things and as we look at things, God has many, 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 many different purposes, right? What is God's purpose for his word? <laughs> yes, he has a bazillion purposes for his word. But here, he tells us why he gave us his word. Is that useful information? Well, this is God we're talking about. And he tells us, my word is useful. It's beneficial for you. Okay, this is, this is not one of those as seen on TV ads, right? That gets you worn out by the end of the, thir- the half an hour, if you have the stomach to watch it the whole time. Half an hour ad, and finally, make it stop, make it stop, I'll call the number, right? 
No, this is God telling us, this is good for you. Not just a doctor telling you what foods to eat or what medicines to take. God tells you, this is good for you. Every verse of the Bible comes from God. And the Bible is as helpful as it is inspired. Let's ask ourselves, just at the beginning of this year, all scripture is breathed out by God and is beneficial, is profitable. Theologically, when we look at the all scripture here, what are we talking about? Are we talking about this as one big entire whole? Well, all could be that way. But I think the better way to understand this and the way that theologians uh, and traditionally orthodox uh, belief in the doctrine of inspiration tells us and, and explains for us that this is talking about every single word of Scripture. Okay? We sometimes call this verbal plenary. That means all the words. Okay? All the words are the word of God. Well, if in the same breath Paul says all the words are, are beneficial, then I want to ask you this. What parts of the Bible are beneficial to you? All of it, right? I mean, would you say even the minor prophets? Yeah, yeah. Even the book of Revelation? Right. I mean, sometimes, sometimes the way we think of our Bibles is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Psalms, and Proverbs. Right? Or if I only go to my favorite verses in the epistles, right? Things that are sound bites that I can just take with me and go. Now, some scripture is written that way. A lot of the letters are written in like chunks of, you know, that's what we're looking at actually today. (laughs) These two verses, almost in isolation, we're looking at trying to expunge the wonderful truths that are there. But all of God's truth. Every part of Scripture and every word of Scripture, God says, is useful to us. God helps, God's word helps us grow. So, if all of Scripture is given to us for these purposes and are power packed with helpfulness in these areas, what can we learn from these verses that tell us in which way these are helpful? How can we use Scripture? If Scripture is so useful, in what ways are, are they useful? Well, here, even in this very passage, Paul says, I'm glad you asked that question, okay? All Scripture is given by God and is profitable for, and then it says, four things. Okay, these four, these four things. These four, in one way, we could say, are meant to be taken together as a whole though they do very slightly in their focus. God intentionally gave us his word in this passage revealed to us so that we would be helped in these kinds of ways. So we're going to look at each one of these four. The first is doctrine. Doctrine. The first benefit or beneficial use of the word of God is teaching. God's word teaches us. Now this, this word, even in Greek, is a very, very common word in the New Testament letters. And it describes all levels of doctrinal instruction. The Bible is useful for laying a foundation. 
It's good for filling in the cracks of our spiritual understanding. And it's good for building a strong life on it. All that you need to know is in the Word of God. Do you believe that? All that you need to know is in the Scriptures. Yes, if we get advanced degrees, we need to make sure we're up on our textbooks, right? If we climb this, the, the social ladder or the, the, the job uh, positions keep coming our way, then we need to learn more and more. We need to be an expert in our field. But God says to us that God's word itself is helpful for teaching. Now, it could be seen even, uh, I, I think it's helpful that some commentators have pulled, um, have pulled together, that these four things, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, are given to us perhaps in pairs. The good and the bad, and the bad and the good. The first two having to do with instruction, that is, we could say faith, and the second two in practice. So on the outset, we have doctrine, the teaching from the scriptures. A good foundation of biblical teaching is absolutely necessary for a life of faithful service to God and growth in godliness. If you, th- if you think that you can grow as a Christian, but you don't really need to grow in your personal knowledge of and understanding of Bible truth, then you're getting things backwards. God tells us that to know his word is to increase in our understanding of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, is it not? How can we grow in our understanding of who God is, what his intentions are for us? When we come to a certain fork in the road and we think, well, what kind of decision would God have us make? How can we expect to get to that point and have a thorough understanding of what God would have us do in life if we have not given respect to God and his word far, far before that? If we have not inculcated, entwined into our living the truth of God and the mind of God as revealed to us in his scriptures. Now, all scripture is not given to us in the same, we could say genre, in the same way. So a story in the book of Judges may or may not have the punchline at the end. Okay, now the punchline does come. It's the same punchline throughout the book of Judges. Everybody did crazy stuff. Okay, so probably don't follow their example in many ways. But if we find a story that doesn't necessarily tell us exactly the lesson to learn, keep reading. God will tell you more about himself. The Bible is, this is another big word here, self-contextualizing. If you start at the beginning, God will tell you what you need to know about him so that by the time you come to other stories, other uh, proverbs, other passages, you'll know what you need to know. And as Proverbs tells us, many times we have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig to know what it is that God has for us, to think deeply, to get help from others. But God has given us his word so that we could learn. Secondly, he gives us here reproof. One way of seeing this is seeing how False doctrine, false teaching needs to be shown for what it is. Every bit of scripture is useful for defending the faith and refuting the error. 
This may be describing those who do not want help in their lives, but who do need someone to intervene and tell them the importance of believing and following the truth. So as Paul tells us, God's word is beneficial for these things. Let me ask you, how much are you using the Bible? These ways. Do you go to the Bible yourself to learn and grow more? Do you have a thirst to say, Lord, I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. Doesn't matter whether it's Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Saturday. I need more. I want to learn more. I want to understand more deeply the truths that are coming from this very pulpit. I want to learn more deeply from when I read myself. When I just sit, just myself and my wife, or myself and my wife and kids, and we talk about the truths of Scripture, I want to be able to get deeper with them. I want to give them a foundation. God's word is good for that. Just dig in. But then there's the guy at work who has some wacky beliefs about Scripture, about some theology that he's come up with. Are you using God's word like he says it is useful? Now, I have, uh, I have right here a cell phone. Cell phones these days are good for lots of things. Sometimes you can even make phone calls, right? They're good for lots of things, but uh, I, I've discovered uh, that if you take a, a wooden board and then you stick a nail in there and then you hit really hard with your cell phone, it's very, very useful. Now, is it useful for that? Uh, I mean, on a limited basis, maybe, okay. But is it meant to be used like that? No. God tells us, I've given you my word, it's from me, and it's very beneficial. And if we say, got it, God, I'm good. And then we go off, And we say, I know how I can use God's word. If I memorize a lot of scripture or if I toot my own horn, then maybe people will think well of me. Are the people who use the word of God that way? Absolutely. There were even in Paul's time. And he warns Timothy and others a lot about people who misuse, mishandle the word of God. Okay? But there are ways to use it properly. And one of those ways is to say, no, you're wrong. Reproof. Is to say, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't tell me that Christ was just a man. He came to give us all a good example, and that's it. Period. End of story. No, you can't tell me that. You know why? Because I know my Bible. I know my Bible, and you're wrong. Okay? As Westerners, we are maybe a little bit more naturally confrontational, individualistic, that kind of thing. In other cultures, it might be that we should say it in a different way, different... But come on, folks. God gave us his word for reproof, for telling people, this is the way, walk ye in it. God gave us, you could see it, positively, negatively, teaching, 
and reproof. To know the word of God. Let me ask you, is it yours? Have you internalized it? Is it a part of your thinking day and night? Parents, while you're rising up and you're going to bed, do you take every opportunity to express scriptural principles to your, to your son or daughter? Do you pause the movie and say, kids, what do you think of that? What should we think of that? What, what is that? That's every moment of every day, parents making sure the word of God is deeply inculcated in the minds and the hearts of their children. What is that? That's using the word of God the way God intended. Why? How? Doctrine and reproof. The third, correction. Though this third term is very similar, it seems, and it is, to the second, it describes those who need help and who know they need help. Okay? They are open and needy, but they need someone to show them the way. The skillful Christian soldier will fight against sin in his own life. Amen? The skillful Christian soldier will fight and fight and fight. The battle is first here, right? We'll fight against sin in our own lives. And he will fight against the sin in the lives of his Christian brothers. You say, well, wait a minute. That's, that's their life. You know, I mean, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, right? But why has God called this group of believers to be an officially joined family together? Why? So that you can help each other grow. And you say, oh, I... I I'm just, you know, moseying along in my own Christian life myself. I, how can I really help somebody else? Well, you have the Bible, right? And you say, well, what good is that? God gave us the Bible, and he said, I gave you the Bible so that you could use it to correct other people and to help them stage by stage, step by step, moment by moment in their lives. God gave us the word of God so that we can correct people, that is, so that we can help them to grow. And Ephesians 4, which we're not going to look at today, tells us explicitly that God brought us together as the metaphor of a body so that the hand can help the foot, okay? So that we don't, we don't grow with an overly, obsessively large left hand, okay? And weirdly hunched shoulders, and a foot that just won't stop. No, we're, we're supposed to be growing. As we grow, we grow together. That's the point. We're supposed to be growing, helping each other to grow with the word of God. God gave us his word so that we can have this benefit to be beneficial. One of the pa many passages we could think of in this regard is Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God's word is beneficial for us so that we can teach, so that we can reprove, we can correct. We can show them where they're wrong 
and help them out. And then, fourthly, instruction in righteousness. The difference here is that this is even more of a positive outlook. This describes an ongoing teaching, coaching, guiding in the life of someone who wants to go in the right direction and is finding some victory, perhaps, in doing so. In fact, we would not know righteousness, right? Instruction in righteousness. We wouldn't even know righteousness if God had not revealed to us his own character. We would not know how to live godly lives without the word of God. And we would not be able to follow through and live for God without the Holy Spirit of God giving, given to those such as ourselves, who believe in the gospel as found in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 17, begins with a very, very important word, which shows us that, verse, that the purpose for verse 16 is coming. God has not only given us very beneficial help in his word that is ready at any, and at, excuse me, that is ready at any moment to help us to grow in godliness. Okay, that's true, but he also reveals to us here in this passage that this is why we even have the Bible in the first place. Okay, talking about us in this time frame, in the church age, he reveals to us, he's given us his word. God's word comes from God. It's helpful for us to grow. And thirdly, God's word helps our leaders to lead. In verse 17, Paul gives this as, are you listening? The reason God gave us the Bible. Okay? That's an important thing to listen to. This is the reason God gave us the Bible. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When Paul mentions the man of God, he means just that. A male leader in God's cause. Some translations and some uh, interpreters take this phrase to mean just any Christian, since after all, the Bible is for everybody, right? Are there anybody in the, is there anybody in the room who is not a male? <laughs> okay, yeah, so is the Bible for you too? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. But God is saying here that God gave us his word so that in this context, the context is so focused on Timothy, and the next few verses are so focused on the work of the preacher that the main purpose statement given here is that God's purpose for giving all of us the Bible is so that we would be led by people who use the Bible well. In the Old Testament, the Bible uses this phrase, the man of God, as a description of Moses, Samuel, David, and many of the prophets. Maybe you can recall passages where simply the man of God is all we know about the guy. Okay? So this phrase is used throughout the Old Testament this way. I think it is much better to see, instead of talking about this as everybody, the man of God to be talking about, again, godly male spiritual leadership, particularly those in leadership roles in the church. God is telling us that God gave us the Bible so that godly leaders will do the work of God in making and maturing of learning followers of Christ, right? Disciples are learner followers. The more you learn, the better you follow. The better you follow, the more you learn. Learning followers, that's what a disciple is. And um, God gave us the word so that 
even though no one can cause a person to turn to Christ, no one can cause a person to grow in Christian maturity, uh, no one can cause a person to learn what they need to learn from Bible teaching, and no one can cause another person, actually, to faithfully stick close to Christ, but God can do this, right? God can change hearts. God can encourage the disheartened. God can open minds to increased understanding. And God can give wisdom to know how to grow in godliness day after day. Who in here needs that? All of us need that, right? Good news. God gave us his word for that. God can do that, and he does. But he often uses other people in the church to help us in our lives. We know that God intends to use other people because God initiated the church. Our Christian brothers and sisters, as we mentioned, are supposed to know who we are. They're supposed to know what we're like. And they're supposed to know how we need to grow. So if any one of us builds walls around ourselves so that we run in on Sunday morning and then run away, right? Why? Because, ah, they might get to know me. Okay, and maybe you're a real stickler. Okay, maybe you're, maybe you're a prickly cushion, okay? But God has given you, the church, so that we can help each other. And God has given godly leaders to lead, shepherd, which means feed and lead, right? People in what? The word of God. So then, that's all part of God's overall instruction for us today. And good news, the Bible's good for that so that the man of God may be fully equipped to do the work. You think, well, when he says every good work, what are those good works? Well, I think we can see from the context that it's these four things. It's for teaching, it's for reproving, it's for correcting, and it's for instructing in righteousness. All of that stuff that the Bible is good for, God has given so that godly leaders will lead godly people in a godly way. This is God's plan, to use your pastor to lead you, to lead your family, to lead your church in that endeavor. Paul tells Timothy that the word of God can help Timothy and other godly leaders to teach, rebuke, turn around, and guide those people under their spiritual care and influence. And though we can't spend so much time with this today, he tells Timothy right after that, Let's just look at those verses. Verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 4. So with this knowledge of the powerful, useful word of God, look at the stakes that he raises here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, what? Proclaim this stuff. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That last part of verse 2, does it sound familiar? This is what God's word is good for, and this is the word of the work of the proclaimer, the work of the leader, the work of the man of God to do these things. And as he says in the middle of verse 2, be ready to do it at a moment's notice. This is part of who you are. This is part and parcel of your ministry, but also of your life. Not just your livelihood, but your life itself, Timothy. This is a part of you. Make the word of God a part of you, leader, 
Because, as we learn from First and Second Timothy overall, that the person of the leader is a part of the message, right? So when he does this, Paul reminds us of a few realities that are far bigger than the normal pace and priority of our regular earthly lives, doesn't he? Heaven, for instance, is bigger than your living space. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. God the Father and God the Son are always everywhere and always see everything, but there is the picture given here of a heavenly throne room, a heavenly judgment hall, where Paul is given the floor to give a declaration on behalf of God. And that declaration on behalf of God is preach the word. Jesus is your judge. Paul says that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Jesus is on the verge of sitting in absolute royal and judicial authority over all mankind. Is he not? He will live in this earth again. Sitting in Jerusalem, the literal physical Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will be the capital of the world, and he will be the judge of all the earth. He is, and after that will be, the eternal judge of the living and the dead. He stands right now as the judge of the living and the dead, and he is our coming king. He will set up his kingdom. This is the plan of God. Every person who has ever lived, great or small, significant or insignificant, will bow the knee and answer to the king of the universe. Paul brings all of this to mind when he says to Timothy, you've got to listen to this. Hear me out. This is super important. Proclaim this word. To all of us, God says today, I gave you something really, 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 really useful. Believe me, he says, it comes from me. Many people, gainsayers, naysayers, will say, oh, the Bible was written a long time ago. Do you think God is not powerful enough to preserve his word because it's still true? God gives us his word. He has given us his word. We have his word today, praise the Lord. And I'll remind you that there are many in this world who do not yet have any access to this written, inscripturated word of God. And I thank you for your prayers in that endeavor to continue to push the boundaries of where the word of God is and where it can go. Because we know that God's word is powerful. We know that God will raise up more preachers. Let me ask you, how, how many times have you been praying for your sons, for the other young people in this very church, to give everything, 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 so that the main work of their lives can be to forward and further the word of God, to teach to reprove, to correct, to instruct in righteousness. Is it worth the American dream? Is it worth giving up the other promotions? Is it worth giving up a very impressive career? 
What are the messages that you are sending to your children regarding the ministry? Are you giving any messages to your children regarding the ministry? Do you not know that there are people who have vastly less exposure to the word of God than every single person in this room around the world? Is it not worth going overseas? Or as this, our beloved U.S. of A., is becoming more and more and more of a gospel vacant mission field, going next door even, to preach the word. It is the most important thing that God is doing in this world. And he's not just doing it with people who are privileged to do it as a full-time vocation. He's doing it with all of you. He's given us leaders, and he's given you a wonderful leader, leaders here in this congregation to lead you in that work. It is the most important thing that you could be doing. If you have any questions about that, read 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 again sometime, just to remind you. Before your coming king, this is the most important thing. Proclaim that beneficial word. Teach yourself and others. Reprove yourself and others. Correct yourself and others. Instruct yourself and others in going forward in a life of righteousness. And follow the leadership that God has given you who is shepherding you in the right direction using the word of God faithfully. God has given it. Study God's word for yourself. Teach God's word to children for the next generation. Pray that God will raise up more godly leaders in and from this church. Listen to your pastor and ask God if maybe he wants you to be more involved in word-based ministry. God's word is so important. It comes straight from him. But it's also beneficial. It's useful. God tells us why it's useful, how it's useful. And he expects to help us in that cause until the day where we see the God who spoke face to face. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for your people that you have gathered here today. We ask, Lord, that your word will continue to be upheld, to be studied, to be appropriated in the lives of this congregation for generations to come. Lord, please keep these people strong and pure. Keep the leadership strong and focused for the purpose of helping, for the, people, for the purpose of reaching out to even those who don't have any real practical understanding who are right here in this community. Lord, please use your word. We know we are asking in your will when we ask you these things. Thank you for the privilege of studying your word this morning. And we pray that you would impress on our hearts how we can better appropriate the beneficial word of God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Christ, for loving us first. And we thank you for the privileges and opportunities that you will give us to use your word even this week. Help us to lean hard on you as we do and to make your word more a part of our lives day in and day out. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.
Thank you, Alex. I appreciated that word. The Bible tells us that God has imparted life to us through his word. We are begotten by that word into new life, and so it's very valuable for us to meditate on what we've heard today, to think about it, because it's uh, more important than a whole lot of other things out there in this world, aren't they? Many of those things, some true, but can be big distractions from the most important. So pay heed to that word. It's life-giving. Today's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I trust that you will do that. Trust in him. Father, I pray your blessing on your people, those who are here today, those listening, each and every one created by you in your image infinitely valuable, eternal in existence. And today we pray, saved each one by the blood of Christ, by confession of faith in him. May we do that if we haven't already. In the name of Christ, amen.